The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. There's been lots of news from the energy file today from an American company wanting to pull out of their investment in the Alberta oil sands to rail cars and new details on a methanol plant near Grand Prairie. We have it covered for you here. Now to break it all down, we're joined by Markham Hislop who has a, a book coming out in two weeks titled The New Alberta Advantage Technology Policy and the Future of the Oil Sands. And of course, he is also the publisher of Energy News and a friend of this show. Markham, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. Now, let's start with the news today that um, Oklahoma City-based Devon Energy Corp. says it's going to, quote, pursue the separation of its Canadian assets from its core business. And that could mean uh, include an outright sale or creation of a new company to own and operate them. Devon owns the Jackfish steam-driven oil sands complex uh, south of Fort McMurray, as well as some uh, heavy oil wells near Lloydminster. Your thoughts on this one today? Well, the um, the migration of some of the American and multinational companies out of the oil sands was criticized a year or two ago when uh, Shell and ConocoPhillips uh, sold uh, combined, I think it was $32 billion worth of assets to Canadian companies. And so there's this narrative of fleeing capital, leaving Alberta and uh, and Devon kind of fits into that. Mm. But I, I don't think that's an accurate way to look at it. I think what's, what's happened here is that you're seeing the, uh, there are certainly some, some challenges for oil sands companies. So, for instance, you know, the Devon, uh, in its announcement, it referenced the widening differential, the volatile differential, and the, mm-hmm. and the mandatory curtailment of production that the Notley government brought in. These are all challenges. And uh, for a company like Devon that's got its fingers in five or six uh, pots, uh, that may be something they're not very comfortable with. Mm. And it may be that they don't have a committed take-or-pay pipeline commitments. Uh, They maybe don't have the kind of refinery refinery capacity that the big integrated companies like Suncor and uh, and Husky have that guard, that protect them against that differential. So there's a wide variety of of uh, possible causes, but the overarching one, and this is something that I deal with in the book, is what we're seeing is a maturing of the oil sands industry. The oil sands now is dominated by five companies, so that would be Suncor, Sonovas, CNRL. Imperial Oil and Husky, and these are companies that derive most of their production from the oil sands. They're committed. It's a very unique resource. There's really not another one like it in the world. It's very challenging. It takes a lot of technology. And these are Canadian companies that over the last 20, 30, 40 years have learned how to to produce this resource uh, competitively and to lower their emissions as we head towards a carbon-constrained future, they're committed. They're specialists, if you will, mm-hmm. whereas Devon is more of a generalist. And I think Devon, my sense of it is that Devon kind of decided that it didn't want to be a specialist in the oil sands. <laughs> uh, you know, it just, uh, you know, having said that, it it it's just, it, it feels like it's another kick uh, for the oil industry right now in this province. And, of course, if there's, you know, employees of that company, they're wondering what's going to happen next. Who do you think uh, could... who could pick up those assets. Well, we saw Husky Energy trying to hostile mm-hmm. takeover of Meg Energy, and they dropped that uh, after the production curtailment was announced in December. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see 
uh, Husky in the hunt. Mm. Um, Synovus is maybe, they're still digesting their big purchase uh, from uh, over a year ago. So, I, But maybe Suncorp, I think Steve Williams, the CEO of Suncorp, has said that his company has uh, you know, a pretty solid balance sheet and it's looking around for acquisitions. So I think maybe, and CNRL, of course, has a very good balance sheet as well. So those would probably be the three uh, most likely candidates. Mark, I'm, I'm curious how you as, you know, in your job with what you do, and again, this is totally, I'm just going right off my question line here, um, with what you do and following um, the oil sands, the, the oil industry, um, as you've been watching it and adapting what you see and what you do and 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 what you're thinking and I, I'm guessing it's going to come up in this book of yours um, is the future of of uh, the oil sands in this province and what it looks like. I just I wonder how you've been juggling it all as well. I'm very bullish on the long term future of the oil of the Alberta oil sands. I, I think it's a tremendous resource. And what the oil sands uh, companies are doing, and I've interviewed a number of them on this, and and the people like uh, uh, Sonovas, VP of Technology, Harbir Chinna, and they make it very clear. uh, Their objective is to bring down the carbon intensity, the emissions associated with their heavy crude oil, so that 5 or 10 or 15 years out, when carbon pricing, carbon taxes, and climate policy regulations uh, are implemented in Asia and China and India and Singapore, places like that, that they can compete. And not only compete, but they can out-compete the countries like Venezuela and Mexico and Brazil and and Saudi Arabia that they compete with. And I think that, that the combination of policy and technology that we've seen in the last few years is perfect for that. And one of the arguments I make in my book is that Alberta hasn't got a big enough vision for this. The really, the NEB, for instance, mm. says that if in its high price case, we could see the production of the oil sands go from 3 million barrels a day to 7 million barrels a day by 2040. Wow. And so there's, I, the, the oil sands companies have positioned themselves very, very well for expansion, and we need to wrap our heads around how how that expansion gets facilitated, and of course, pipelines gets to be part of that conversation. Well, let's talk about that. You brought up the uh, NEB. It's expected to weigh in on the future of the Trans Mountain Pipeline on Friday, we're hearing. Uh, We know that Cabinet could wait much longer uh, before they decide, or it decides how to proceed, you know, possibly this summer. What are you expecting this week? Well, I don't think we're going to. I think what you're going to find is that the NEB will come back with some kind of a, a report that accommodates killer whales. Maybe there'll be more money spent out of the Ocean Protection Plan. That's 1.5 billion dollars that's available, uh, but there'll be something. I mean, the Trudeau government. Uh, I know Alberta. Uh, some of Albertans don't think this, but the Trudeau government is really uh, all in on Trans Mountain expansion. And it has to be, because if Trans Mountain expansion fails, it's a vote, it's a huge black eye for the Canadian regulatory system, and mm-hmm. that will affect investment all over Canada. So this TMX is absolutely going to go. So what I expect to see in, the, in uh, the 22nd of February, when the NEB report is handed in to the government, is the government say, well, look, we're going to take a period of time to look at this. Oh, and by the way, we still, you know, have got 
probably some four, five, six months yeah. where we have to finish our Aboriginal uh, consultations. So that will take us certainly into the fall. And the, even after the Aboriginal consultations are finished, the government at that point has 90 days to make its decision mm-hmm. on whether it will, will provide a new approval for, for TMX. But I think by the end of the year, uh, basically, you're going to see uh, TMX restarted. Your thoughts uh, on the United We Roll convoy? We've been talking about pipelines. That convoy um, arrived in Ottawa yesterday, um, demanding uh, among uh, a number of things that the pipelines be built. Um, any? Do you think it's having in, any impact in Ottawa whatsoever? No, I don't. And I've been a big critic of these convoys, and I'll explain why. There is something that I describe in the book, I call it the Canadian Energy Consensus, and the polling data is very clear. Every Canadian will understand that we basically occupy the middle, right? Mm -hmm. 70% of us are very much in the middle, we're very pragmatic people, we look for solutions, and and then we have these, you know, 10 or 15% on each end, uh, the extreme end of uh, any kind of topic. And so what's happened is, uh, the polling data is very clear about this. It shows that, that 70% of Canadians say if the our government, so might be Alberta, B.C., Canadian government, whatever, if our government support the transition to a cleaner energy future, because we know that's going to be decades down the road, we will then support pipelines and more oil and gas development. That's 70%. If you get, if you're somebody like John Horgan on the left side, who's outside of that consensus and gets too, you know, too unreasonable, support for TMX goes up in public opinion polls. But on the other side of that continuum, if you get, if we get outside the consensus and we get too extreme, you know, having convoys and yelling at, Mm. you know, uh, for, for pipelines and being angry and ragey and all of this kind of stuff, we risk the same, the same uh, consequence where we put Canadians off and they go, oh, you know, wow, I really, I can't support that. You know, maybe I'm going to pull back a little bit of my support for oil and gas. So it's very, very, the extremes in this, in this debate are dangerous. Both the Horgan, you know, mm-hmm. sort of that green, yep. no pipelines whatsoever, and the other side, which is pipelines immediately, give it to us. Both of those are dangerous from my point of view. Markham, I need to take a quick break here, but I want to talk to you about rail cars. Uh, the, the Premier announced yesterday uh, more cash to spend on rail, co- uh, on rail cars. Can you hold the line for just a moment? You bet. Absolutely. But we'll be back with Markham, H- Markham Hislop right after this. A few minutes left with Markham Hislop, the publisher of Energy News, also has a book coming out very shortly. It's called The New Alberta Advantage Technology Policy in the Future of the Oil Sands. Markham, yesterday, the Premier announced plans to spend, uh, what, $3.7 billion on rail cars for bitumen. She says it will make the province a net profit of more than $2 billion. Jason Kenney says he wants it scrapped, saying the private sector should be buying the cars. What's your thoughts on all this? Well, uh, that's certainly true that some of the private sector companies have been buying uh, rail cars and leasing locomotives, and Sonovus would be a good example of that. Uh, they announced last um, last year 100,000 barrels a day of, of new rail capacity. But one of the things that uh, isn't being taken into account here is the effect of lack of pipeline access on small producers. Mm. and. The, every quarter when the, the press releases start coming out with the financial reports, uh, I take a look through the smaller companies. And unfortunately, and this will be no surprise, 
particularly to your readers in rural Alberta, or listeners to rural, in rural Alberta, uh, the small producers are bleeding red ink. They're in really, really big trouble. And one of the things that Knopfley, I think, wants to do is use the this uh, new rail capacity to help small producers, to give them some options so that they don't have to fight for space on the uh, for, uh, uh, spot space on the on the pipelines, and I I think that's a very good idea, and I don't think it should be scrapped at all. All righty, um, we're almost out of time, but I do want to touch on your book. We've mentioned it a couple of times. Comes out in a couple of weeks. Uh, besides what you've mentioned that you'll be talking about in a couple of our um, you know topics this afternoon, tell us a little bit more about. It. I'm giving you the opportunity. What 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 does it cover? Um, what the, the, the thesis of the, of the book, Jalen, is that the global energy system is being transformed by new technology. Mm-hmm. So thousands and thousands of not just wind and solar and electric cars. There's many, many thousands of different energy technologies that are driving this change. We're about 20 years into the process. We've probably got another 40, 50, 60, 70 years left. We are headed towards the electrification of everything. Mm. Eventually, we will have electric cars, electrically heated houses, our industrial processes will be electric. Everything, almost everything, will be electric. And what the oil sands companies are doing is they are driving down the carbon intensity of their crude oil so that when the time comes and countries like China and countries like India and Singapore begin to price carbon, and apply carbon taxes in their refineries and their petrochemical plants, it's our oil that's competitive. And I argue that that process will, when the last drop of oil <laughs> is uh, heavy crude oil, is processed, refined somewhere on this planet, it should be an Alberta drop. And I think the, the, the oil sands companies have got the right approach, and I think that the we have the right policies in place, and I think that they, they need to stay in place. It's going to be an interesting read, Markham. Thank you so much uh, once again for joining us this afternoon. Always great to get your insight. Likewise, great talking to you. Take care, Markham. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.